What's up, y'all? So I have I have some things to say, uh, an epilogue, as you will, of the podcast that we just recorded for Iron Culture, and there are some things. Eric, Eric, and Omar just just absolutely crushed. I think Eric had had so many nuggets in there, and then Omar had the uh, he he started a vein that I didn't go down for some reason, and I'm not really sure. He started the the negative sales train, uh, which is called negging. In the gym industry, this is really, really prevalent. You'll find some of these deepest vulnerability, especially it, it, you do this intuitively um, with people who are coming to the gym. Maybe they're a little bit self-conscious about something, and you find you befriend them, uh, and then you you poke at that vulnerability, and you do it in not a malicious way. Um, and you even heard him say you do it in a helpful way, and um, and then you become become an ally on their quest for for body composition changes or whatever it is they're trying to do um and that is a you can argue the positives and the negatives or the malintent or the impact of that i would argue for the positive impact of that if you get out of the sales cycle um i think that negging can can honestly work really really well and if you keep the end in mind um and i've honestly gotten clients from this had them for they're now physically active and they were not decades later. So you can, you can argue the ethics of it, but, and I, I'm, I'm happy to, to have that discussion, but the impact of it for someone who falls in love with exercises is hard to argue with. If that, maybe it's not needed, but for some populations, it does work. Um, the, the other aspect is, is I didn't want to take over the discussion in the beginning of the podcast. So I just kind of let it happen organically. If if I was trying to also, I was obviously like, I, I speak a lot. So I, I wasn't nervous for the opportunity to speak or even the magnitude of, of the platform that I was going on. Um, my wife and I talked about it before. I was I was nervous because I care about these two individuals' opinions. Um, I care about their time and I wanted to make it worthwhile. Um, and it's okay to care about things and it's okay to be nervous. Um, and I also wanted, it was their platform and I didn't want to, I can be bullish uh, when I do things and I, especially earlier in my youth and I know that and and I wanted to just let things happen. And, and um, if I would have, if I had to do it over again, um, and here I am doing it over again, I would have started with a question, um, is it even a good idea to myth bust game changers? Because I think game changers has it. If you look at what game changers does, it's everything we hate about the game. It's observational research with longitudinal observational research for a question that we can't really answer well with science. It's, it's these mechanistic research. It's, it's showing, it's activating people emotionally. It's showing them celebrities. It's showing them people that they know. Um, it's it's really doing all the things that we talked. It, it has this. It has this redemption type story. It has this element of oppression. Uh, they're conclusive. They overly generalize. They talk about all these different types of mechanisms that that potentially red meat protein, and. And they have all this social proof. They future pace it. They do everything um, that that we've talked about. And so, I would make I 
I make the argument from a, from a Robert Sapolsky quote, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And I don't know, and there is research on this, um, and I don't know that giving them, and I say them loosely, giving from an internet perspective, all marketing is good marketing to a certain extent. So the these things are always going to crop up in the news cycle. And, and we have this opportunity, I think, there's this whirlwind of attention. And how do we do that well? How do we combat combat the, the lack of, how do we temper those findings, I think, is how do we temper it in a way that the that we're not just rallying our herd? How do we temper it in a way where we're actually helping the people in the middle who haven't made a decision yet? And we're maybe even moving the people who have made a decision to be to draw a bigger circle and to be like, wow, that, that person, that person has an adequate point and I don't hate them. Um, and I think that we can do that well. I think we can use the intention and we can we can do it well or we can do it very, very poorly. And we can, you know, rattle our swords against our shields, uh, and we can we can just use that that opportunity to rally our elephants and, and maybe get our own sales cycle going. And so that's that's maybe what we should have started with. Because, and, and I'll take the heat for 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 not doing that, um, because it's such a good example and it's such a good story that all of us in the nutrition world know and we've all probably dealt with. Um, on, on a daily basis. If, if you've, I remember that when that documentary came out, I immediately got emails from coaches like, have you seen this? Um, I, it, it, and they were, some of them were like, wow, what, what do you think about this? And some of them were like, wow, we're going to have some really, uh, we're going to have to have, we're going to have to do some explaining about, you know, these fruit frequency questionnaires and the, and the quality of this data. And I would extend an olive branch. Like one of the things that I don't think that we do enough is we don't we don't compromise, um, and I would if in that discussion I would start with the compromise. I would start with like yeah, I think processed meat intake. Um, I don't think that's that should make up the majority of your calories, um, for for a wide variety of reasons. For we can get into confounders, we can get into all that stuff. We can we can dismantle that argument, and we can try to find the independent effect size of that for longevity, uh, which is slim to none. Uh, I, I would guess, I would, I, I would guess that the independent effect size on that not dying, it, it would be slight, it, posit, probably positive um, in, in, the, in the fact that you would increase your likelihood of death eating more processed meat. There's probably some type of threshold there, some type of individualness based on genetics, based on everything else going on in your body. But inside of a Western environment, I think that we can make the compromise that that wouldn't be your best choice. You're already there. All right, we're we're on we're on common ground. Now let's talk about where where we're potentially not on common ground. Do I think that a vegan diet is the best for a for a professional athlete? I'd, I'd argue that it's probably better than a professional athlete who has a high who needs to maintain a high work capacity and day after day after day, night after night after night in front of lights. I'd argue that it's better than a keto approach. Um, but do we need to have those type, do we need to be dogmatic, dogmatic? Do, 
athletes who potentially need to eat three to 6,000 calories a day, do we want to have them on restricted dietary eating? Like, is that going to help them acutely in performance? I would make the argument that no, it can only help them um, from a physiological standpoint. It would probably only help them negatively, aka not help them. And, and so I, possibly you could be in the placebo realm where if they believe that their diet is giving them an advantage, it could potentially help them. Uh, I think where diets have a role in professional sports is obviously not being in a low energy availability state, meeting, meaning basic micronutrient status, getting enough fiber, everything that comes with, with the dietary terrain. Um, and then I think where we start to reach is we start to look at things like information. We start to look at things like recovery time. And, and those are, we don't have a ton of research on that, but I think if, if you do look at the research we have, we have the, we perhaps, have the potentially potential to elongate careers to um, square off that performance decrement. Um, so it's not this slow decline. It's more like boom, boom, retire. Um, and, and I think that you you are seeing that in professional sports more and more. The big confounder in professional sports is there are injuries and injuries are going to happen and injuries are really, really hard to predict. Um, so, and the, the best prediction of an injury is a prior injury. So if you get caught in that injury cycle, you can, you can, you can come out, you can get washed out at the back end. And so I think those, those are, if those are good critiques and, but I, I think that it, you, you can get into the nuance of eating more vegetables. Like if you increase food volume on a, on a, on a legit athlete who needs to eat a substantial, substantial amount of calories and they don't have a lot of time to do that. Um, I think there's a there's a threshold that you want to meet there from a from a micronutrient standpoint, from a fiber standpoint, from a food volume standpoint. Um, but eventually, food volume is going to become too high, and you could, in your attempts to help them, you could hurt their their performance. And potentially, if they end up in a low energy availability state, you could help you could increase their inc increase their injury risk, which would be obviously detrimental to them long term. Uh, the one of the one of the things that I did in the beginning of that talk, I got on a I got on a rant, but you'll you'll notice that I did something else that we could add to your list. And and these a lot of these things that I'm that I'm doing in that story. So I told that flawed protagonist story, which will probably make people mad. I told that story and and I also said in the beginning that I was nervous of this of this epilogue. And that adds an element of vulnerability. And that can bring people in. You have to be careful on how you do that. It has to be subtle. It has to be, it has to be quick. Um, it can't drag on, and you can't be looking for compliments with that vulnerability. Then, then it doesn't go well. Uh, and that's why we, we talked a little bit about doing the internal work to be able to use that type of self-deprecating strategy, or even just extend. Um, that's that's extending vulnerability to to another individual, um, and that is a form of sharing. Uh, and that's where we have to, you find this a lot in relationships, people overshare in the beginning, that is a form of currency. And so you want to be aware of how you are sharing with other individuals. Are you oversharing so that they feel like they have to overshare because of the law of reciprocity? Or are you just giving enough? Are you just extending a little bit of vulnerability where there's this connection? Well, wow, I, I, I can feel that. I've been nervous before. Um, and and so the the other thing that people who haven't necessarily been in the creative space before is the editing process is extremely difficult. It's the thing that people don't like the most, cutting things. Um, and, and 
and maybe we didn't do that well. Maybe maybe the editor will take take will scrunch that that three hours and fifteen minutes of recording. Maybe they'll, they'll scrunch it into two hours. Maybe they can scrunch it into ninety minutes. Maybe they scrunch it into sixty minutes. And people don't necessarily like that. But that is the editing process. So story is powerful because of the things that you don't put in it. As much as it is powerful by the things that you do put in it. And so, based on a true story, based on a true story, you don't you don't tell some you don't leave in all the boring parts. You you put that's that's what storytelling is. It's how do you grab how do you grab the audience? How do you how do you just emotionally, um, and then how do you keep them hanging on their seats for however many episodes for however many however long the movie is? How do you how do you keep them enthralled? Um, and there's there's formulas for that. There's formulas for content creation, and you can argue if those those form like all oh, they're too formulaic. But the formulas work because humans have been telling the same stories over and over in the same ways. We like to hear the same stories, uh, and there's nothing wrong with having your content grab the reader. Um, and and so the other thing that we all need to acknowledge is that. Our past is is fiction. Our mind is changing it. We we weren't. Our memories are not as they were even a year ago, um, and so we can become entangled in this this it's called a life narrative. Um, of in that life narrative dictates a lot of our choices, good or bad. And so it, one of the maybe this is getting perhaps a little bit zen, but seeing that life narrative and seeing and understanding that your mind is changing things. It's changing the hues of your memories um, to, to perhaps be better or perhaps be worse in certain aspects. But it, nothing, it, that's why I love the movie Inside Out. It's, it, it's for, for a kid's movie, it's, it's fairly amazing from a, from a neuroscience perspective what they're doing. Um, and she has these, these core memories. Um, and, and it's been debated obviously inside of neuroscience, which, which you would expect. Um, but we do have this, this life narrative and this life narrative is um, is forever changing, and I think being able to see it and being uh, able to understand that perhaps you yourself are a creation of your mind in order to put forth your genome to the next generation. Like, what is the difference between your skin and the outside world? Why are you so different? Why and and this ourselves have become more and more isolated. And even with our vocabulary, even with with everything, with the physical and electronic isolation from other humans, uh, I think in when we were back in the Dizay, um, legit, I think that our sense of self without a mirror, um, being so deeply intertwined with however many, 150, 300 humans, depending on our how how much intensive kinship systems we had to bind us together, they found without without intense moral religions they found societies of of over 3000 but they have very very complicated kin based interactions um it's 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 they're basically bound together with kin altruism and so the that your sense of self would would have probably been been a sense of self embedded in a group and i think that we're that most humans are trying to find that group somewhere and we are very lost right now as to where we are going to find that group. And I think that movement is maybe one of the safest places that we can find that group. 
Um, yes, you have the war of acronyms inside the movement space. Are you are you DNS? Are you PRI? Are you are you FMS? What 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 three letters define you? Uh, and so we definitely have the the war of of tribes and or groups inside of inside of the fitness world, but it's not the same to me as the wars within within the diet world because everybody has to eat, um, and and not. You, Exercise is generally something that we hopefully choose to do. And there is, in, in nutrition, there's not really something that can bind all of them together. If I'm looking for one thing that can bind the groups together, it's perhaps a hate of, of processed foods. So that's something that you can yuck. Everybody's yuck all day long. But we got to be careful with yucking that yuck because what do you do? What And then... Then you be create. Then you create morality around cupcakes, and, and we got into a little bit of that discussion, and and so, wish what I wish I would have touched on more is the potential for muscle to bring these embattled exercise science or whatever you, movement groups together because muscle is is a sexy sugar sink, and it can no matter where you're coming from, no matter whether you lose weight or not, no matter, even if you don't recomp, even if you just put on muscle in your legs and your, in your arms, because it's hard to measure in your trunk, you're going to have a bigger place to put glucose in a world that of abundance, in a world, in an obesogenic environment that we have, we're just starting to figure out what the hell are we going to do with this thing? Um, because don't put baby in a corner is, is always like, we we try to do this over and again, over and over again. We try to hack the obesity epidemic with some type of simple solution, uh, low fat, high 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 fat, low carb, and and at the population level, at, even at the individual level, it doesn't necessarily work. It can work if people get dogmatic and, and their power of belief goes 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 the right way. But think about think about something like the sugar sweetened beverage tax. Like this is something that has been tried in the state of Washington, um, I believe Philadelphia, and then, and, another, and then also Baltimore. And the we have data on it. It does look like it changes buying practices. Don't it does look like if you look at the recall data, it does look like it changes consumption. Now, will this have the estimated the estimated revenue and then the estimated amount that this will change the people's weights? Um, will it will it lead to a stagnation in weight? I don't think so. I don't think that these types of things that we're talking about are enough. Um, and, and I don't. If we had, if our entire society had a shared hate, or a shared extreme distaste, and we got rid of ultra processed food, we would we would we be better off if that was even possible? Um, I, and this is where you take it out. And I think that you'd be in a very prohibition like state where you would have, because of human beings are going to get what they want. And it's not, nobody wants to be like the human. They don't want that type of control put on them. Um, I, especially in the United States, no one's going to agree to that uh, hashtag freedom. So if that happened, you would have like black market cupcakes. And I think the same thing, it would, it would just exist. It would just exist perhaps on a, on a lower, uh, a lower tier. And, and I don't think you could ever get rid of all those ingredients. So people could obviously make them themselves. Would that be good or bad? I, I'm not gonna, I don't think that's, 
it's never going to happen. So we're, but if we lived in a totalitarian state, total, totalitarian, through the, I can't even talk, totalitarian, totalitarian, <laughs> uh, totalitarian, I can't, I'm not, you guys know, authoritative uh, state where they told us what to, what to eat. You could, uh, you could argue that that would perhaps be possible. Uh, but I would, I would counter that with in, it's very hard to do when your major tenet of of human beings is is hashtag freedom. Uh, so those things those things are probably impossible to do, and and I would argue would lead to a very odd and restrictive relationship with food inside of our current obesogenic environment. So I think we need other strategies to deal with cupcakes other than the appeal to authority. And that to me is high metabolic flux. That to me is maintaining high amounts of muscle um, because you just make yourself more anti-fragile in the face of this world of abundance. Um, and this is just a, a short little monologue and I'll, and I'll finish it up with, with I, wanna, I wanna give, give the, the two boys credit because they added some uh, two elements to my, to my list of the game. And so I'm going to share my screen real quick for those of you maybe watching this. And so we got the first one we got is, is the flawed protagonist redemption story. I told this one um, and you're, you're going to see this. I, I don't think that any of these are in themselves. Some of them towards the end, you can make the argument that they are quote unquote bad, but I see these all as tools. Um, and this is this is a really really big one. Uh, rally your elephants. You're gonna see this. This is in in, in my my boy Rob will let me know what, let me know about this. Is this I, the idea of prospecting in the ad world is finding a naive customer or a new new customer, and that is very very hard to do. What they try to do is they generally try to retarget people, um, and so people have gone and clicked on your profile, and, and they'll try to get them essentially get them back because they know they're interested. They're, um, and there, their touch points are somewhat. They got Robert can get it down to two to five touch points to get this person to to buy something or to get back, and so that that's pretty wild if you think about the algorithm. Uh, and so, rally your elephants. Some of that is finding and not letting go of those elephants, producing good content um, and, and what kind of people are you trying to rally? How do you rally them? Because so you can you can argue that this is actually a good thing. If we're if we're rallying people around uh, around food volume, around muscles and the sexy and the sexy sugar sink that it is, you can argue that that's a that's that's ethical. Um, and the the other thing with that some of y'all might be like, and we didn't get into this in, in the podcast is, is this, the elephant is there for a reason. It's not just, it's not rally your herd because it's rally your elephants because most people make decisions based on type one thinking or, or the emotional side of the brain. Uh, probably don't want to get too deep into neuroscience. This is the ventral medial area of the prefrontal cortex. Um, this is where you get into Descartes' air. And that if you fry that part of the brain, people just can't really make decisions. So you need uh, you need to have that emotional part of your brain to make decisions. And the rider on top, and this is, uh, I believe it is first coined by Jonathan Haidt um, and Chip and Dan Heath took it for switch. Um, 
I don't know the I don't know the exact story of if that they they don't mention him in Switch very often. Um, so that that's an interesting that they don't give him more credit, but because you'll also see this as type one and type two thinking or intuitive and reflective, um, Daniel Kahneman, and, and so we are trying to really get after that type one system. And when people are scrolling the gram with their fingers, they are in they're in a type one state of mind. And from a research standpoint. They're trying to probably grab them and either give a short message that makes them maybe think about something in a new way, or you're probably trying to get them off the platform um, to a type two type scenario where they're actually thinking about something in context and nuance. And, and that, that's, that's unfortunately um, not rewarded by the, by the algorithms because uh, they're not going to reward non-native content. Um, they're going to, but I mean, to give them credit, swipe outs do work. And there are, if you're, if you're good at rallying your elephants and they, that becomes almost like a news drop. It becomes almost like a newsletter, like new thing we did. Um, and that, and people are subscribed. They, they might just, it might just be something that cues them in. They might already be in that, in that cycle anyways. Um, so not, again, not good or bad, just, just, a, just a potential tool. Um, and then, this is, this is again, be if you're always conclusive and generalizing your findings, you're using these words, everyone always, this is, this is, this is going to work. Um, and you're not really taking, you're not talking about uh, the negatives of, of the thing of your potential hammer. Uh, you never talk about the disconfirmation. You never talk about the graveyard, the thing the, the potential that it didn't work. But on the flip side, you could argue that starting with a conclusive statement and then backing that off is a great way to grab the reader. Um, and so uh, this is this is with the change in the social media platforms, this is something that I've done more and more is I'm, my hook, I think more and more about my hook. And then then how can I make that hook ethical in, in, a, in a medium or long form writing? Um, and I've been doing short, medium, even some long form writing, and now a, a lot of long form content uh, via this via this medium uh, for a really long uh, time over maybe not maybe not that long um, but definitely twelve years I've been I've been doing this creative process and I think another another thing that we didn't talk about is you'll hear researchers say this a lot this medium that I'm doing right now is nerve wracking because you I can't take back my inability to pronounce a totalitarian state. I can't, and I maybe didn't even still say it right, but I could spell check that, no problem. So that's why a lot of people, and this is where we get into match fits with mediums, is some people are uncomfortable in this, in speaking. They're uncomfortable in in this type of free form environment where you could, you could say something that you can't take back. And writing is always safer uh, and I, I love writing. Um, I always love writing. And that was the first thing. But I realized that if I probably, if I want to move a lot of people, if I, unfortunately, if I want to make people value video and AV content more than they value writing content, unfortunately, um, like the fact that Robert Sapolsky's book is like $17.99, the fact that John Heinrich's both his books are under you know $20 and they're just 700 pages. 
where imagine that person, that individual made a course and they sold it. Massive difference, same content. Um, now you have an AV element to it. People just think of that as, for whatever reason, they think of that as something that has more value. Um, and so you will see folks in the research world who their match fit is right. And, and that's 100% fine. You may not be okay with this. This, this AV medium might not be your thing. Um, and you like to write or vice versa. The AV medium might be, might be your jam and you're, and you're good at speaking and you can think on the fly. Um, and, and you've taken maybe some improv comedy class. You, you, um, you say yes. And, and so all hail the mechanism. We talked about this a ton. So this is, this is really the, the main, if we hit one aspect and we hit it really, really well in that podcast, we hit a lot of stuff. Well, um, and, and I think we, we, we hammered this one, but, and these are all things to be aware of, but again, in a, a shedding, using this in a positive light, like going through the mechanisms of, of something that works and, and going using these same strategies, but then tempering, uh, tempering it with the applied literature, tempering it in some way with like, Hey, this is, this is, this is what the average found. Um, and, and not being, not being number three, uh, social proof testimonials before and afters, uh, these aren't in themselves bad. I think that you can do before and afters really, really well. I think you can, I think that's honestly the best way it, the, to sell your approach if you don't have a one size fits all hammer. And that's what you'll find a lot of people who use, who don't have one tool in the nutrition or fitness space who, and that's beautiful. Because I'm always I'm always down with with getting more things that work because that means that I can potentially find more match fits with clients, but that's a hard thing to sell. And so the the best way to sell that is like, hey, look at this person. We use this and this technique because of this and this, and and this is their results. And now we're working on. And I think if you're trying if you're talking about ethics, the thing you have to say is like this was the this was the, the dietary if you're selling a before and after this was the dietary portion of, of what we did now here's what we're doing to help with the weight maintenance side which looks to be just as difficult long term as the weight loss side and however if we get you can get people to the two-year mark um if we maybe even if we can get them to to the nine month or even one year mark we can we can lose um some of that cognitive oversight we can put some of these techniques on autopilot um and it be, it can become a little bit less difficult but it's never going to be completely not difficult um, so you you temper it and then you talk about you keep the end in mind um and so you can tell really really good stories that way and you can use these types of techniques hopefully maybe you get yourself a blue check mark i don't have one yet but my wife does uh jelly and, and then so this this comes again with future pacing uh who is your client avatar? How can you tell? How can you identify what bothers them, and how can you how can you use your medium to show you fixing that problem or your product fixing that problem? Um, and and that works. That works very well. And I don't think that it's bad. I think that if you have an avatar and you work well with them and you do it ethically, you should be one hundred percent okay selling what you do. And if you don't like selling, you can just do non-sales selling like this is right here. Uh, compare and win strategies. This, I, you'll notice I'm, I do a lot of these when I write copy uh, for, for the courses. Um, and you get into 
Is it schmarmy? Maybe. Um, but it, you just tell the truth. And if you, if you, if you tell the truth, if you look up actual data and you're like, Hey, this is, this course is $397. It is likely equal to two on two undergraduate or graduate level courses. Maybe most of ours probably graduate level in, in between. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a meshing. There's definitely graduate level content in there, in, but there's also lower level undergraduate content. They're enmeshed together. Uh, and whereas if you took that as college classes, that might be depending on your credit per course, that could be three, four grand, uh, legit. Um, and I'm okay saying that. And the, our courses are built in a way where we're not just, you know, we're not just, this isn't our first time on zoom. This isn't our first time building internet content. I'm sure there's people that do it, that do it better than I do. Uh, but the, this isn't our first rodeo. Whereas in college now you got, you honestly got some six-year-old professors who've never had Zoom before and this is their first rodeo. So where would you be better off spending your money? If you care about credits, if you, if you care about the story of an undergraduate degree and you want to go to grad school, well, you got one option. Um, if you don't, if you're in con ed land, then, then what is, what, what doors does the master's open? What doors? And I always, if you love this stuff, honestly, like go back and go get a master's, go get a PhD. That's a different experience. Um, trying to replicate that, trying to replicate that experience in the free market is, is difficult. I think that it is doable. Um, we've, we've managed to, to do it once, uh, albeit we've, uh, I think that I, I think that we can do it better and we're going to do it again. Um, people, not a master's or a PhD, not years of your life, but months of your life building content, tripping on the truth of your own story, um, teaching people how to navigate PubMed and how to navigate these other, um, these other sources of uh, peer reviewed information uh, and perhaps even how to look at their own data. Uh, hack reci reciprocity, this is, this is big. You can argue that this is bad or, or again, use car salesman. I, I, a part of this is just, is just being a friend. It's just being aware, like do nice things for people. Say nice things to people. The loss aversion, negative, the negativity bias, we, we can become really, really negative about these platforms. We can become really, really negative about the industry as a whole, or you can be nice to people and, and you'll probably, because of reciprocal altruism, you'll feel better yourself. And every, so reciprocity is not a bad thing. Doing nice things for people is not terrible. Uh, and you can do nice things for people with no intent to get anything back. And, but there still is altruism there. The altruism never goes away. Um, but you can use these techniques, honestly. Uh, and, and it's okay. You can buy people a book. You can, you can send them stuff in the mail. You can, you can have friends and you can try to build friendships. And one of the way to, ways to do that is to, now, do you buy someone you just met a car? Same thing with the oversharing. Probably not. That might lead to a cleaning relationship. That might just be off-putting. Um, we, we hear stories of those types of things. So make sure that it, it kind of fits the mold. Make sure that it's funny. Uh, this is, if you read business books like, um, like Moments by, by Chip and Dan Heath, really good. It's all about elevating the moment of those, what we would call them whale customers or these, these super vertical customers. Uh, and, but it, it can just be anybody. Just raise their experience and, and take it out of the mundane. Um, and, and, Remember that likely the vast majority of your business is probably, and if you look at 
like small business trends, whatever, maybe upwards of 80% of your new business will be referrals, which is crazy. Um, you can probably track that down with your own analytics. Um, some Maybe it might be somewhat difficult, but uh, referrals are big because now there's this element of trust. With that comes an element of scarcity. Uh, people, people, you're trying to potentially get them to buy a product that will hopefully make them better off in the end. And this is, this is a tactic that, that you can use. It's hard to get people to buy things on the internet. Um, and if you add an element of scarcity, it's generally only four or five spots left. That's, that's, there's never, there's never 27 spots left. Um, and so this is, and eventually you're not lying. There are four and five spots left. Maybe, maybe you're never lying in the beginning. Maybe you'd be fine with five people there. Uh, and take away any risk. So this is where we, we talked about this one. This is uh, a limiting loss aversion. And then the last two are, are really, this is, this is where you can kind of get into too bad. And all of these, all of these can light up. Okay. This is a strategy. Now I have this in my head. The last one uh, is something I would shy away from. This is, this is kind of like the little kid asking, why can't I do that? And because daddy said so. Uh, and mm, Mm, mm. or because daddy found this meta-analysis and nothing, there's no, there's, and we're unwilling to maybe talk about the garbage in, garbage outside of meta-analyses meta or, or daddy found this RCT um, and this, this RCT is law. Uh, and now you can, you can argue that like questionings for questioning sake gets, gets pretty annoying. And yes, dealing with those type of individuals where the, the, where it's never enough or it's it's just like ah they're constantly questioned like that can that can be difficult but you don't just get to be you don't just get to say because i said so um and then adding morality to an issue when it need not exist i think this is this, these are both things that that came up in the podcast so i added a couple to the the social media spider sense and with with that we had a, we have to say the ultimate spider-man quote with great response with great power comes great responsibility. And I will I will finish this this up with some some book recommendations. There are a lot. And you guys can look at at Stephen Powers. So if you are interested in this stuff, these are some sales books. Um, these are about creating how to win friends and influence people. Um, this is a Gary V book. Uh, you also have Byronomics by John Goodman, which is good. You have the great. You have some old school books like The Greatest Salesman in the World, uh, Verbal Judo, Influence, uh, To Sell as Human by Dan Pinkler. Uh, you got the Building a Story Brand. You have all the. You have On Writing by by. Um, what's On Writing? Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. And uh, Stephen King. Uh, there we go. And you have, um, you have bird by bird by Anne Lamont. You have writing on the bones by Natalie Goldberg. You have a lot of these content, big magic, a lot of these content creation books that I, that I think can be helpful on if you don't like, and those are, some of those are not salesy books. These are probably, these are a little bit salesy. Um, these are, if you gravitate towards, the non-sales selling approach, and this is what I gravitate towards, um, you will like these books. Uh, the Company One is, is great. Uh, Getting Naked, Patrick Lencioni has his books on all these things, and he probably embodies what we're talking about the most. Uh, he writes business fables. So he writes these types of things, and he, this is how you just, you, this book is about how you 
basically just start uh, doing the job and you figure out payment later. Uh, and you eventually you got to sell uh, whether you like it and you got to, you well, maybe you don't sell. You just like, this is how much I cost. So there's going to be this moment where you have to add, you have to say how much um, monetary value your service holds. Uh, you can, and that's a good point to learn how to do gracefully. And then perennial sellers is, is a great one about uh, not just not being a one-off anybody. You don't want to be that, that one song, one album. You want to you want to create good art over and over again, and that that good art uh, builds on itself. Even and in the science part, in the science part, this is this is hard. Like I've killed courses, rebuilt courses because new new stuff comes out, uh, and and to me, the ethics of selling old courses is not worth it because then I got to dismantle those things that I got wrong, and I'm gonna get things wrong in, the, in these courses we just built. There's five two years from now. There's, there's going to have to be updates. There's going to be, I mean, you think about the, the inundation of peer-reviewed studies on a monthly basis and how that, you know, I think of, I think of water wearing away rock and how that, how that potentially changes, changes the field. So these, these things have to be updated, but these books, if you, if you, if every, all of these sales strategies, everything that we're talking about sounds schmarmy, these, these books, they, they will probably resonate with you. Uh, we talked about um, Randy Olson. Randy Olson is uh, these are these are these are perhaps required reading. Um, he goes into the attention span literature a little bit, which we talked about. Um, goes into how, especially politically, how politicians have to be so they have to be so quick and they have to be so simple and singular. There's very rarely any nuance because just because people's attention span, and so we're stuck in this this singular, simple, emotional story loop. Um, generally that produces immense negative emotions on one side or the other. Uh, and lo and behold, we have, we have a, we have a divide that is, that is made worse through the algorithm. Uh, and so these, these types of, uh, he takes on some big issues in these books. And I think that his ABT format is really, really helpful. You'll also notice that, uh, we didn't have an overall ABT format for that podcast. That was long form inside group content, meaning that you have way in the science community, you have made, maybe that went too long though as well. Maybe this is going too long. And that, that he would, Randy, Randy Olson would call that. And he, he is a doctor, so Dr. Randy Olson, he's a marine biologist uh, who went to Hollywood and, and the AAA, what he calls in and, and, uh, and DHY, despite yet, however, where you're constantly arguing, um, you have way more leeway with those types of material inside group content. And that's essentially what a podcast is. So not everything that you do has to be ABT, but I think that it's good to summarize things in ABT form. I think it's good to have elevator pitches in ABT form. And I think that it's um, going to benefit you for short and medium form writing to think about in this ABT framework. It's definitely helped me. Um, and then with that, uh, you have all of the all of the books by Stephen Pressfield. I've read everything by Stephen Pressfield, um, just because as as a male, we talk about um, just disposition and what I like. I mean, I'm Gates of Fire. It's absolutely amazing the amount of work that that book take book took. I mean, we're talking about that that book's used in history classes and it's a story that he wrote that's wild that's wild that's so cool um and so he has and he goes through 
and narrative is everything in Houston we have a narrative um, they go through these log liners of of essentially how you how Hollywood creates these formulas for episodes for movies um, and there's different ones and seeing Bressville does that as well um, talks about the climax talks about how you want to make your main character suffer as much as possible you'll see this a lot in um, once you kind of know these formulas you'll see this a lot in shows and, and movies and, it, and it's fun to see and then he has he has some great books turning pro and do the work which which i really enjoy so those are outside of the peer review literature um and i i don't know that i would look to the peer review you have the harvard harvard business journal which which i which i like reading there's that there's a there's actually a really really good art really really good article by daniel kahneman that i found when i was prepping for this podcast that was um all the questions you should ask before you make make a big decision and i can i can link that pubmed id out uh, but it was it was it was really really well written um and so there there are some obviously there are i'm not sure if the harvard business journal i don't think that's peer-reviewed but it is indexed on pubmed um and so the you have some tools and the, it's gonna take time the creative process takes time getting good and getting non-attached and editing takes time um but but thank you. Thank you for wanting to, to learn about this process. Thank you for maybe not categorizing uh, me as that is a schmarmy used car salesman right away. And just like these tactics are necessary now. If you can't just, we know this, you can't just put out a paper and think that it's going to, that it's actually going to be communicated. And then if you're not willing to get your, get your hands dirty, if you will, in, in the world of communication, then you can expect that your message will be reframed, that it will be telephoned out uh, in a way that, that you probably don't like. So if you want to have some semblance of control of how your findings or how your message goes out into the world, got to know the game, got to play the game. Totalitarian. Totalitarian. Totalitarian totalitarian. There we go.